1: How's it, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Command Zone. I'm your host, Josh Lee Kwai. And I'm DJ. Today, we are revisiting an old topic. So we did, and it's one of our most popular episodes ever, the top five overrated cards in Commander. But that was almost two years ago. And Jimmy was here and not DJ. One of the things we love about having you on the show, DJ, is a new perspective. So we thought, this is a topic we could talk about And as we were going through it, it turns out you had a lot to say.
2: Yeah, I have some overrated cards that I see at a lot of commander tables and uh, I don't think they're that good.
1: Yeah, I think we've all had that feeling where somebody plays something and you're like, I wouldn't put that card in my deck or not in that deck. And this is us kind of pointing out some of those cards we see across the table or to the side quite often, more often than we think we should. There's probably a lot of you out there running them when they're They're suboptimal. They're not great. A lot of these cards are good and will be fine, but you could probably find a better option sometimes. Yeah. So after we talk about all these cards, if you want to replace them in your decks, you're going to have to go find new cards. And the place to go to find those new cards or to pick them up so that you can put them in your decks is cardkingdom.com slash command zone. If you use that affiliate link, when you order all your magic products, singles, anything at all, you really are supporting this show. Game nights, extra turns, all of our content you're a Magic player, you're going to buy Magic cards anyway. If you just use the affiliate link, when you do, you are supporting all of our content and making sure we stay on air. We do appreciate it. And while you're there, check out some Ultra Pro products. You know, this time of year, we're buying gifts for friends and family. A new batch of sleeves could be a really good gift for somebody in your play group. You know, I tend to, like, hang on to my sleeves until they are on their last legs. (laughs) Now, I did just resleeve all my decks into Eclipse, so they're fine now. But right before I did that, I probably lasted, like, six months to a year too long on a couple of decks where like some of the sleeves were even like starting to peel in the corners and whatnot. And I was like, I should replace these a while ago. And I'm sure your friends are like that too. It's just kind of, sometimes it can feel like a chore and it's, it's kind of like, you know, eating your vegetables a little bit, but if you buy new sleeves for somebody, it's great because they're like, Oh sweet. This is something I've been meaning to do, but I just never would go out and do. Does that make sense? Yeah. So look at ultra pro stuff because eclipse sleeves are the best and they use that, uh, new durability, that technology on all their stuff now. So if you get the guild-themed stuff, you know, if your friend's got a Simic deck, or also you maybe you don't want them to play their Simic deck, you'd rather they play their Azorius one. <laughs> Buy them the Azorius sleeves and they're going to play the deck with the new sleeves, right? Oh, That's right.
2: Josh. Oh, Josh.
1: Use it to your advantage. <laughs> all right, and the last way to support the show is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone. In fact, we call out one lucky patron every single episode and this episode is dedicated to Yamashi. Yama. Yama. You rock. Thanks, Yama. Okay. Let us go into the overrated cards, most overrated cards. uh, There's some disclaimers we should put out here because I think when people hear a list like this, they just immediately go like, well, they think all those cards are bad. That's not what that means. Many of the cards on this list are good. In fact, some of them are very good. But it's all about the gap between the perception and the reality. A card can be good, but still be overrated because most people think it's even better than it is.
2: And a lot of times, cards that are really good in one circumstance, people try and and shoehorn it into other circumstances. We often see this in Commander where there's a modern staple that gets thrown into our format. And they're like, well, it's amazing in modern. And we're just like, yeah, it's fine here.
1: Yeah, Tarmogoyf is a really good example. And if somebody sort of ports over and starts to try Commander, but they're mostly a modern player. They might try and play a card like Tarmogoyf. Goyf is not good in our format. It's just it's just not good, and it'll take them a minute to learn. And that would be a card that maybe they have overrated. Is that card bad? No. Well, it kind of isn't commander, a commander. How about Bob?
2: But, how about oh, uh, Dark, a Dark Confidant? Because yeah. Dark Confidant is undoubtedly a very powerful card. Crazy good in modern. From Time to time now might not be that time, but you know, <laughs> Waxes and uh, but it takes a very specific commander deck to make a uh, dark confidant good. And it could be very good drawing you a card each turn, maybe a shadowborn apostles deck or something like that, yeah. you know, draw or competitive, uh, EDH for sure. Uh, and you're drawing tons of cards and it just runs away with the game being this card advantage engine. Um, but in a lot of commander tables, it's just blah.
1: Yeah, so we're going to talk about some cards that we think are overrated, and you might want to take a second look at and and say, like, does this belong in this deck? Is it at its best? Could there be something better? Um, Okay. Am I going to start us off? Yeah, why don't you start us off? I'm going to start off
2: off strong, by the way, with a lot of...
1: This is one of the most played green cards. Is it number one or number two? It's up there. It's up there. Yeah. Okay. According to EH rec, I think it's one or two. It might be I think it's I think cultivate. It's number then two. This. Cultivate
2: yeah. and then this. It's Eternal Witness. I think it's overrated. Eternal Witness is one green green for a two one sh- human shaman? Shaman. do
1: no. Yeah. Not
2: an elf. I know it's not an elf.
1: Yeah, I think it's human shaman, but
2: <laughs> uh and when it enters the battlefield, you can get a card back from your graveyard to your hand.
1: Yep. It regrowths something from your graveyard.
2: That seems like a pretty good effect, right?
1: Yeah, it's a quintessentially green effect, and there's not a deck that just wouldn't want to do that sometimes.
2: Because if you can tutor to your graveyard, I mean, if you have enough stuff going to your graveyard, and you can tutor in your graveyard, that's a pretty powerful like effect. But I still think it's overrated. And the reason why I think it's overrated is so many people see Eternal Witness up there, and they just put it in any old green deck. And getting something back from the graveyard is fine, but what if you don't often get a lot of stuff in your graveyard? Then your options to choose from are less and less. But again, that's a weak argument. What I think is the better argument is there's so many good things in green that also get stuff back from your graveyard. You just mentioned regrowth. One in a green, get something from your graveyard back to your hand.
1: Yeah, it's a sorcery.
2: That's one full mana cheaper And and the reason why I'm making such a big difference is that the 2-1 body in Commander is not that significant. You're not getting in chip damage uh, over and over again with this card. And a lot of people just put it into their decks uh, when they're just trying to get that regrowth effect. Go for the original regrowth.
1: I run regrowth a lot, and I'll run it over Eternal Witness because one of the things you want to do with an effect like this is get the card from your graveyard and then play it in the same turn. And one mana doesn't sound like a lot, but there'll just be a lot of times when you're like, the difference between having seven and having eight mana is big. And if it costs three instead of two, that means now I can only play a four drop instead of a five drop out of my graveyard. It limits my options a lot. So yeah, I kind of agree with you in that. it mana matters. If you can't use that creature, the two one part of the Eternal Witness to any effect, you're basically playing regrowth for one plus mana, but the one plus mana is saying like, you know, gain four life because maybe it'll block or deal two damage because maybe it will attack once. Is that worth it? Like, I'd rather play... If it was regrowth, one and a green sorcery, get something back from my graveyard or one and two green sorcery, get something back from my graveyard and deal two damage to an opponent, I'll just do the one that doesn't do the two damage because it's not worth the mana.
2: Or you could go much bigger and get cards like... um... Uh, four green, green seasons past seasons past. Yeah. Go super big and get a ton of stuff back from your graveyard. But Josh actually mentioned a good thing. He's like, if you can't use the body. Right. And that's a big caveat to this uh, overrated. Sometimes you can use that body Uh, mirror index. They get creatures back from your graveyard and they do a lot of graveyard synergies. So the body just having it be a creature is valuable. If you can birthing pod it away and do a four drop, or you can bounce the creature back to your hand again, suddenly you have extra creature synergies that give you more and more advantage. Actually, another card that I feel fits this this uh, overrated- uh,
1: The same philosophy. The same
2: philosophy is Drifter. Yeah. People just throw it in every deck and a divination. Will you play a divination in your deck?
1: No, that's no. two and a blue sorcery draws your cards.
2: Drifter is a divination if you evoke it, uh, but if you pay five CMC total... Four you know, and a blue. Four and a blue. You can get a 2-2 flyer and draw two cards. Yeah. Great value, don't get me wrong, but the body isn't really worth it unless... You can blink it unless you can get it back, unless you play it from your graveyard with Moldrotha. There's all sorts of ways that you can abuse the body, but you have to be abusing the body on this Muldrifter. Blink it, sack it, do something with it, but don't just have it in your deck because it's on the top of some list somewhere.
1: I'm less inclined to agree with Muldrifter. I think the 2-2 Flyer is worth something. I think it keeps Planeswalkers in check. It can oftentimes hit a player a lot more than Eternal Witness can. Chip in for 6-8 to eight damage, which is quite a bit... I'm more inclined to agree with you on Eternal Witness, though. I definitely see it in the battlefield or on the battlefield index where it's just like they're not going to do anything with it. They should have just played Regrowth and saved themselves a mana, and maybe it didn't matter in that game, but in some game it is going to matter. Where it's like I want to be able to Regrowth and do something, and that one mana is really going to cramp my style. Um, and the and the two one part of the Eternal Witness is just useless.
2: I actually think that this is pretty controversial because it's a good card.
1: Yeah, it's the second most green played or most played green card. Um but this demonstrates what we were saying earlier where I don't think this is a bad card and I still think it goes in a lot of green decks. Yeah. But it probably should be in a, a in fewer green decks than it is. Yeah.
2: Exactly. And that's and that's kind of this I think there's a good starting point. Cuz it's kind of like, is exactly what we're talking about in this. Okay.
1: All right, the next card on the list is the most played, I think it's the most played multicolor card according to EDHREC. Wow. It's definitely the most played Golgari card. It's Putrefy. This is one, a green, and a black for an instant. It says, destroy target artifact or creature. It can't be regenerated. You still see this a lot, and I think people just haven't changed over to all the new cards that have come along yet, right? Like, they have to be like, you would take Assassin's Trophy. You I mean, know, Assassin's
2: Trophy is just better than this, right? Every day of the right? week
1: and twice on Sunday.
2: yeah. <laughs> enchantments lands yeah it's just it's and just one better. less mana
1: yeah i mean plus they do go get a land but still um wind grace's judgment
2: amazing
1: amazing yeah this is pretty specific in that it gets a creature or artifact if it got an enchantment i would almost be more in favor of it just because that is a harder permanent type to deal with
2: would you pay one extra mana four mana to get an uh, artifact creature and enchantment yeah, for sure. Because that card exists, it's status statue, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that also has a whole other mode to it. Yes. And it's an uncommon, like it's, it's you can get it very, very easily. And so I think that this rides the line. In Commander, we really value flexibility, really, really value it. And so a card like Anguished Unmaking, I know that it goes into a different color, but a card like Assassin's Trophy or Windgrace's Judgment or Maelstrom Pulse even, we're like, okay, I really value- Chaos Warp. Yeah, the flexibility that I can hit anything. There's tons of answers in this format. I need to hit those answers. And Putrefy has j- just enough flexibility to make it like a little bit desirable, but th- it doesn't really follow through with all the ways that we need it to be.
1: It just feels like it's a little bit of a remnant. It's been in some pre-cons and people just haven't taken it out. They haven't examined that card. They're like, eh, it feels that slot and it's fine. But you could upgrade that slot in your deck very easily with um, a number of cards, I think. And you know, Assassin's Trophy obviously a little bit expensive, but Statue is not. Uh, Wind Grace's Judgment is uh, again is a little bit yeah. of expensive, but I think you can f- probably find a card in that slot that is more uh, versatile and w- and will give you, you know, there's Beast, beast Within, yeah, Beast Within is great. Uh, I would assume you're you're running that before Putrefy, but maybe not.
2: But I mean, like you go down the list of like your Golgari kill spells, and I think Putrefy gets bumped off the bottom of the list pretty easily.
1: Definitely Which overrated. is kind of a
2: definition of overrated. Yeah. yeah.
1: All right. You want to read the next one?
2: Yep. The next one is Brainstorm. One blue for an instant. You draw three cards. You also then have to put two cards from your hand back on top of your library.
1: It doesn't have to be two of the cards you drew, though. It's good. Yeah. So that's... You're up one card. Well, you're even on cards afterwards because you use the Brainstorm. Um, but It's good, yeah.
2: good filtering.
1: Yeah. it's It's good hand filtering. Yeah
2: but that's it. It's just filtering. Yeah. People in, this is, might be one of those examples of the crossover because in legacy where you literally
1: the most powerful card in legacy. Yeah.
2: Cause in legacy it's a, it's a fetch land format. And so, uh, you basically will draw three cards. You'll put two pieces of junk back and you'll crack a fetch land. And then the top of your deck isn't that junk anymore. It's a brand new fresh card. well
1: legacy or 60 card decks they can allow four of brainstorms much more likely to hit a piece that you need to hit than in our format in our format it's less of a tutor right because it's looking through you know a lot less of our deck than it is in a legacy deck
2: looking through a lot less we have fewer shuffle effects
1: yeah i still like brainstorm because i think the cost is very low and i think that in a lot of decks it doesn't make your deck any worse because for one blue mana you can just sort of change out a couple of cards in your hand. And we do have fetch lands.
2: And what about um, stacking your deck? Cards like uh, Aminatu or uh, Yenit might change the math a little bit on a card like that?
1: Yeah, obviously there are decks that want brainstorm type effects. The Jalevas, the Narsets, the stuff that care about the top of your library. But discounting those because those commanders were made with cards like that in mind. So, yeah, obviously that goes in that deck. But I think that a deck that has blue in it and has brainstorm and a deck that has blue in it and doesn't have brainstorm – probably close to identical.
2: Would you rather have a ponder or preordain over brainstorm?
1: No. Ooh. I don't think so. You see, I think brainstorms better than those most of the time.
2: We'll see. Brainstorm does have this huge upside, but a lot of times you might just be putting two cards from your hand back on top of your library and just forcing yourself to draw two cards deeper and see the exact same cards you had before. Ponder and Preordain, they have that shuffle or that scry sort of built into them.
1: Yeah, I I see that. However, Brainstorm does have the mode draw three cards. Like you literally draw three cards. For one, there's cards that care about you drawing cards. Gets you three deep. Then with shuffle effects, with fetch lands and things, you're uh, you can you have to combo slightly. You have to have some synergy in your deck. I think, I guess, I think it's fair to say that if your deck doesn't have any sort of shuffle effects in it, then I wouldn't run brainstorm.
2: I'm just wondering how many people out there that have brainstorms in their deck also have a full complement of fetch lands. Yeah, I and what other fe- what other shuffle effects are regularly happening in our format? I mean, because in other formats like Legacy and Modern, it's the fetch lands that are shuffling.
1: Yeah, uh, well, tutors will do it. And all the green ramp stuff will do it. And fetch lands, of course, will do it. And you don't have to have the Zendikar fetches, or the onslaught fetches. You can have Terramorphic Expanse and Involving Welds. I would be surprised if there's a lot of decks out there that don't have at least like seven or eight shuffle effects in their deck. Probably more like 10. If you don't, I agree. Brainstorm is Do so you think you need 10,
2: 10 shuffle effects in order to make Brainstorm?
1: I, yeah, I, I'm just making up that number on the spot. But that feels <laughs> correct, right? Because by turn three or so... I should have one of those. And if I have Brainstorm in my hand, I can sculpt it so that I can use it in that manner if I need to. And the lower case scenario of just look at three cards, put two back, cantrip, you know, it's not the best. It's not the worst because it only costs one mana. It's fine. Yeah. But it, I, I, I guess I agree that it is a little overrated because I definitely see people play it in situations where you're like.
2: People play it and Brainstorm lock themselves. Y- and what did they do?
1: Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I and agree. then
2: at least with Ponder and Preordain, you have more control over, over where your cards are going. Uh, yeah, I, I just find so often...
1: So you think the Ponders and the preordain should maybe be above Brainstorm on the list of those? Like a deck should have the other ones and before it has Brainstorm? Yeah,
2: I, I honestly think so. Hmm, I think that most, most decks out there, Brainstorm has a very high upside of drawing three cards, but I think that when you want a cantrip, you want to start sculpting your hand and moving things away from it, and you don't want a second piece that's required in order to do that. And check how many check how many fetch lands you have. Check how many other things because how often are you going to brainstorm and then also have the mana or need to tutor or need to I know (laughs) and need to ramp in order to shuffle your deck because I think that the shuffle is really required in order for that card to do what you mean it to do.
1: Yeah, maybe it's an interesting point. It's an interesting point about the ponder and the preordian thing that maybe I hadn't thought about before. There are probably decks that are running brainstorm and not the other one that should be flipped. But I do think there are certainly decks where brainstorm is better than those other two. And so maybe it's more situational. And so maybe therefore it is overrated. Maybe it's most people think it's an eight out of ten when really it's a seven out of ten. That's overrated. What do you think of
2: of like Faithless Looting or stuff like that? Yeah, I think those are fine.
1: I don't like I'm not in love with Faithless Looting. Yeah, I know a lot really, of people play it. I'm but, not
2: really in love with it either. Maybe yeah. that's a better overrated overrated card for us, but I feel like your one mana, like your one mana needs to be able to be more reliable to get you deeper. I mean, and I think sometimes the argument for faithless looting
1: you. is that it's in red. That's true. And and red just has <laughs> less options, right? If red's paired yeah. with blue, it's probably not running faithless looting unless it cares about its graveyard. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah okay. Right. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on. I don't know if we came to any consensus on that one, but that's okay. We don't have to.
0: in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Uh,
1: The next card on the list of overrated cards is Mind's Eye. This is a five-mana artifact that says uh, whenever one of your opponents draws a card, you can pay one mana and you can draw a card. This might also be a remnant It feels like, unless you're in Mono White or maybe Boros, although I would contest that a little bit too, do you just have better options for card draw than this card?
2: I think the problem... Let's do the math. Let's
1: just do the math. So Six mana for my first card. Yeah, six mana for your first card. Seven for my second. Still not happy. Eight for my third. Still not happy. Nine for my fourth. Still not happy. Ten for my fifth. It's like getting reasonable, but that's 10 mana. <laughs>
2: now now you're actually getting the, the sort of price, because a lot of times they stick the price on of two mana for a card. Right. That's kind of a thing that, that sometimes gets tacked on. And by the way, that gets tacked on to like common creatures. Right. Not even good creatures.
1: Right. It's, yeah, it, it's very, very inefficient. And so you have to be very hard up for card draw to want it. And actually, when I said, hey, mono white maybe wants it or... Boros wants it. Maybe mono red. Although these days with the outpost sieges and stuff, they, they feel like they're fine and they no don't need way, to run a card fine. like this. But mono white actually gets hurt the most by a card like this because they don't have extra mana. No, the, actually the the decks I find myself running in this are decks with green land based ramp because they often run into a situation where they just have a ton of mana, and so I'm like, I don't care that it's inefficient. I just need a card draw spell. Because this deck's going to have 12 and 13 mana on the table all the time. So if at some point I'm just like, I'll pay eight mana and draw three cards for one round of the table and then you know pay another three for the next round of the table and draw it, this deck will be able to do it. A mono white deck won't be able to do it. So I think the thinking of like put it in mono white is actually kind of wrong.
2: I've seen this in a few decks and they're not mono white. I've seen it in a Krufix deck, the god, where they have just a ton of extra mana and that they're just banking tons of mana and they drop this because it's colorless. And then they're just like go, and then they're just like draw, 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 my turn, draw, 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 my turn, and they just have the mana yeah. Man I got to mana to for days.
1: It. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. the
2: mana is almost useless to them. Yeah. And then I've also seen it in Silvala, the um, Selesnia Svala, Svala.
1: Because again, you got way Explorer
2: too. Explorer return. Oh
1: yeah, you were telling me about this. I haven't yeah. seen this. This yeah. is
2: great. Okay. This
1: is the one that. Uh, what's that mechanic called from Conspiracy? Parlay. Parlay.
2: So uh, it's a Savala Explorer Returned. It's one green-white. Uh, you can tap it in Parlay, and then e- that means that each person reveals the top card of their library, and you generate
1: mana. For each non-land card revealed, you get card. one mana and gain one life. Yes. And then everybody draws the card they revealed. So, oh, this is really smart. Because yes. they draw the card, you immediately you just the dump mana the first. mana into the Mind's Eye. So it's like a, that... The Mind's Eye and the Selvala are like this machine that works together.
2: Exactly. So you uh. tap it, and you generate mana, but and also you get still get some card draw, and then you just pump all that mana into the Mind's Eye, and you draw that many cards.
1: That's pretty cool. I like that.
2: But that's like a cute synergy. It's not like super powerful.
1: Well, here we are. We're talking about the few instances where it's good rather than the many instances where it's good. And I think that's the problem. Yeah. I see it way too often hit the table, and it's just... That's not the case. It's not a crew fix deck. They don't have a ton of lands in play. Actually, they're using the old logic of it's mono white, it's Boros. It needs the card draw really badly. I'll take what I can get. But those are the decks that least can afford inefficiency with their mana because they don't have a lot of ramp.
2: I had it in my mono white deck, and I just took it out like yeah. a, um, like almost a year ago because I'm like, I can never draw a card with this thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I just never have the excess mana. I'm going to lose the game if I do that because the green deck can. It just has mana to throw around, so it doesn't have to worry about being super efficient. But the white deck But they like, also have good card draw, too. Yeah, that's true. I, I, yeah. It's I, not in a good
2: spot anywhere,
1: really. I think green has creature-based card draw. If you're not a creature-based green deck, hmm. then you could be in a little bit more trouble And Mind's Eye is actually pretty good there.
2: Okay, cool. Very cool.
1: Okay. Um, the next one is a green card. Yavamaya Elder. This is one green green for a 2-1 human druid. It says... When Yavimaya Elder dies, you may search your library for up to two basic land cards. Reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle your library. And you can also pay two and sacrifice to the Yavimaya Elder to draw a card. So, I think this card tricks a lot of people. It seems... It says draw three on it, Josh. Well, I think they don't even (laughs) think it says that. Oh, okay. It seems like Sakura Tribe Elder to a lot of people.
2: It's not ramp.
1: Right. So... This is a good point to discuss the difference between Ramp and Fixing. Ramp is when you get more mana into play than you should have if you just played one land per turn. Fixing is when you go and find colors that you need at the time, but it doesn't mean that on turn four you have five mana available to you. You have a My Elder is card advantage, and it's Fixing, but it's not Ramp, because the two lands you get off of it, they go to your hand. If one of them went to the battlefield, this card's awesome.
2: My card would be awesome, yes.
1: But they don't. It doesn't cultivate. That was
2: them. cultivate on a dude with a sack outlet on
1: it. I think this is just a distinction that a lot of players don't make, and that's this is why I continue to see Yavimaya Elder on the battlefield a lot when I shouldn't. And it comes in pre-cons and things, and I think that kind of tricks people too. But really, this is five mana, draw three cards, two of them are lands. I think that's okay. Which is a fine card. It's not that it's horrible, and if you can get it out of your graveyard and replay it for value and stuff, totally fine. But... If you're just playing it in a regular old green deck, this is not what you want to be doing. You much rather would use this three mana on cultivate Kodama's Reach. Even yeah,
2: it's just not it's just not ramp. You, so if you have this in the ramp slot, you're not doing it right.
1: You want to accelerate. This is a card advantage card, and it's not even great. I it's not even as good, I think, as a card that just draws you three cards, like Harmonize, because two of these cards have to be lands.
2: Harmonize is very good, yeah. Yeah. What about Har- like Crows and Tuscar, which cycles for two and a green, you cycle, so you draw a card and you get a basic land.
1: Yeah, it's okay.
2: The green divination.
1: Yeah. Um, this is probably on par with that, or this is probably maybe a little better. You get one additional card, although it costs but more it mana. It costs more mana, yeah. yeah. I mean, this can block and then do it. Yes. That there extra are,
2: card is a land, too.
1: Yeah. It's, again, this is mediocre at best. Which means
2: it's gotta be overrated because I see it a lot.
1: I see it a lot. I see it a lot. I, I really. I would be hard pressed to name a deck right now that I have. I have one deck that cares about its graveyard that has it out of probably six or seven decks that have green or maybe eight. I have it in one. Yeah. So take a hard look at Yav Milder. You probably don't want it in your I deck.
2: have it. I have it in Borbarigmos Enraged okay, because you you it, it pulls the lands and yeah. it pulls the lands to, to my hand. hand. So a lot of the times I'm actually really excited if I draw three lands and then I can throw them at every one. Yep. Enraged.
1: I'm mad. <laughs>
2: okay. Next up, we have something that's overrated.
1: We have the original duels, the OG dual lands from Alpha Beta Unlimited and Revised. We're talking Underground Sea, Volcanic Island, Trop, Tropical Island, all that stuff. Tundra,
2: Taiga, Scrubland, Savannah.
1: These are the uh, you know two, three, four, five hundred dollar cards Josh, now. But Josh,
2: they're the best dual lands. In existence.
1: Yeah, so these have both basic land types that they tap for. They'll be like a Badlands as a Swamp Mountain. Comes into play untapped, doesn't deal any damage to you, and can tap for either color mana. They will not ever make lands like this again. They're a little bit too strong. They've said they don't want to make any lands that are just strictly better than basic lands. So they'll always have some kind of downside if they're going to tap for two mana. But we learned from the gameplay episode that you know, the budget ranges of decks that are successful, you hit a breaking point where adding more Tundras to your deck does not increase your win percentage. And I think a lot of players, you know, they see OG duels and they just think like, if I just had those, my deck would be so much better. Your deck with a Tundra in it versus a Hollowed Fountain is basically identical. There's almost no difference to how powerful your deck is.
2: And that's that's a good reason why they're, overrated yep people put so much emphasis on them and and really try to make your deck perfect by getting these expensive duels and they're not really that necessary
1: you know our friend Vinny, who's been on game nights and been on the show before he was talking to me this is a number of months ago and i think he'd um, stored up some store credit and by by listing some cards and he was up to you know a couple hundred dollars and he wanted to you know get a, some big flashy card and he was considering like an underground sea and i was like honestly vinny get a guy's cradle that card is irreplaceable well growing rights of ilmok but it's so good there's not a lot of things that do what it does but the difference between literally a guild gate and underground C is not percentage wise you know it's 80 percent there's not a, really a card besides Growing Rights of Itlamok that's 80% of Guy's Cradle. And so you increase the power of your deck if you just want to get one card a lot more with one Guy's Cradle than you do with one Underground Sea. So, and you know, they're both on the reserve list. So. And also
2: the prices, you're competing against Legacy. Yeah. Like, so when you're, and also Guy's Cradle is also competing against yeah. Legacy. Maybe um, Sarah's Sanctum might be a better. Uh, thing where it's basically a lot of commander play that's causing Sarah Sanctum. It's the it's the guy's cradle, but it taps for white for an enchantments. And the Legacy doesn't really play it, which is why it's not a bajillion dollars. It's still really expensive though. It's still really, reserveless. It's still really expensive because it's reserveless. But again, in the right deck, that's incredibly impactful. And there's no growing rights of it. impression that it also does. Yeah. So you know if you're looking for some, there are cards out there that are expensive that give you a huge boost and. Probably aren't overrated. Are probably very, very good. Guys, Cradle. Uh, I mean, I would say, Sanctum. Those are just very, very good cards.
1: I would say, let's say you had a deck, and it doesn't have any OG duels in it, and it doesn't have a sort of Feast and Famine in it. And a a sort of Feast and Famine is almost certainly going to increase your win percentage more than an Underground Sea will in yeah. that deck. That's and that's like way cheaper than an Underground Sea, and it's still expensive. Don't get me wrong, but it's not. If you want to increase the power level of your deck, adding an OG duel is not going to really do it.
2: Overrated.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The next one's also a land. I agree with this one. You put this on the list, but I I definitely agree with it. Yeah. Go ahead.
2: It's Reliquary Tower. Reliquary Tower is a land. Comes into play untapped. Taps for a colorless. Says you have no maximum hand size. It's a pretty simple card. I also think it's very overrated.
1: A lot of people put this in every EDH deck. They just, it's just an auto-include. I
2: put it in a lot of decks at one point in time. And now I've realized that it's not that good. It's a crutch. I don't want to get rid of my cards, but do you know what? Seven cards that are perfectly sculpted is enough.
1: Yeah, and you have to ask yourself: Is my deck likely to have twenty cards in its hand? And does if, it
2: need those twenty cards? If or it's seven,
1: okay. I think if it's likely to have twenty, likely to have twenty, not like sometimes if the perfect storm hits, I get twenty, but like this card, this deck has a lot of card draw. It's maybe based on a commander that card draws. It's gonna, it's gonna have many opportunities to get a ton of cards in hand. Really, Courier Tower can be good. But if your deck's like like has normal amounts of draw and whatever, and sometimes it's gonna have nine cards in its hand, the difference between nine cards in your hand. And the best seven of those nine cards is not very I don't big. even
2: think that it's a big difference between 20 and and seven. You can't, if after drawing 20 cards, you can't sculpt the best seven and win that game?
1: Yeah, I think a lot. It's that Napoleon thing, right? Quantity has a quality all its own. Just having 30 cards is a big deal. And you don't lose a lot of games where you ha- where you hold 30 cards in your hand for a turn or two. The difference between seven and nine, I think is not great though.
2: No, I agree. Seven and yeah. nine is not great at all. But the
1: difference between seven and thirty is, is there's a difference. I, I would much rather have thirty cards in my hand.
2: I yes, I would rather have thirty cards in my hand. But I don't know if you are like let's say You're thirty giving cards up is quite a bit of
1: value by four dropping twenty three cards.
2: Four times. Do you think you have four times the win percentage? Well, n- no. By having four times the amount of cards.
1: No, but I bet you have you know a, a five or six percent increase, which is big. Than, than you would, and and like, how much
2: of a how much of a decrease do you think you have by kind of messing with your mana base by putting colorless lands in I th-
1: that I
2: think are that I think are crutches that people don't want to discard cards. They just it's just to feel bad to like yeah. throw your cards away, and so they're succumbing to their baser instincts instead of just saying, "I'm gonna craft the perfect seven. The seven will be great." And then here's you the th- win here's with the
1: it. thing, though, if a reliquary tower is gonna be played and keep 13 cards in your hand that you would have had to discard. It basically draws you 13 cards. That's worth it. If it's going to if it's going to keep you from discarding that eighth card, that ninth card sometimes, then it's not doing much and the the hurt that it's doing to your mana base is not worth it.
2: How often how that's often, often is your deck? Yeah. That's what I'm, I'm saying. Getting...
1: If you're in a Locus God deck, if you're in a Necrosar deck, if you're in a a deck that's built around drawing cards, then I like it and I think that's but fine.
2: In those effects, you're wheeling and going back down to 7 so often.
1: Uh you might wheel once in a while, but you're windfalling stuff a lot too. You're you want to get that card velocity up and, and high, and a lot of times you're like stroke of genius. You know, if I stroke of genius for twenty or whatever, I want to hold all those cards. It allows you to hold some lands for future land drops. Like, there's a bunch of reasons. I, I it sounds like you're saying you never want Reliquary Tower, which I do not I, think is correct. At I all.
2: almost I almost never want Reliquary Tower.
1: Yeah, see, I don't think that's I don't think that's correct. I think it's overrated because I think any deck that's normal that's not. Focused around drawing cards, then your best seven are totally fine. And you, there's n- virtually no difference between that and the two or three cards you discarded. But the decks that are drawing tons of cards.
2: I think that if your deck is designed to draw a bunch of cards and dirtle and need to hold on to it then maybe, maybe so. It
1: doesn't have to be Dirtle. You might be assembling some kind of combo. Let's imagine... You're
2: assembling a combo that you need You need to hold on to those extra 20 cards?
1: Well, I might need four cards for my combo or for the synergy that I want. And I might need a board wipe or, and, a, and a couple of counter spells and, and some removal, right? Like, there there are times when you look at your hand and you're like, I, I need 10 cards just, mean, to, just to be able to cover all the bases. That's why you draw 20 cards, so that you can cover everything. And and giving that up by having to discard all except for seven can be bad.
2: I agree. It can be it can be a little bad.
1: I heartily disagree with the fact that you should never run it. I very much agree with the fact that it's overrated and there are many decks that don't need it.
2: I think that sometimes people build decks where you do want to like they do draw a bunch of cards. They draw just a ton of cards all over the top and they they really want to hold on to those cards. Like it that's something also, that they build the deck around. And then in that case. Sure.
1: Well, but how about I, this counterpoint also? If someone's playing that deck, I want them to have Reliquary Tower because sitting there and watching them agonize over which seven to keep for five <laughs> minutes is not something I want to be doing. So it's better for everybody at the table if they just have Reliquary Tower and they just keep them.
2: Are, so, is Reliquary Tower played in any of the most powerful decks?
1: I have no. No, I don't think so.
2: No, I don't think so either.
1: Yeah. But the... Yeah. But that doesn't mean <laughs>
2: I know. I'm just saying I'm just saying that like uh, if we're talking about it being really important for the win percentage of your deck, I think that you could build your deck slightly differently and win more often. But if you're going for the fun of having a bunch of cards in your hand, then obviously you should play the card that gives you the most fun to keep those cards in your hand. Otherwise, but if I don't your deck think is built around winning, I the most powerful that you could do decks
1: that. are drawing tons of cards like that.
2: No, you're, you're right. They're probably so not
1: running. The, they're not yeah. fitting the criteria and they're just trying to win on turn five. Like
2: That's true. They yeah. don't care
1: the number of cards they've got. They just but want the right you, cards. That that
2: kind of deck that you're describing, part of the fun and part of their play style is to draw that many cards. And it's not necessarily to get the biggest advantage. It's to have that experience of holding the cards.
1: Well, I think also, ha- like I said, having a lot of cards is an advantage.
2: But I think it'd be a better, a bigger advantage to to avoid that entire play style. And if you do draw a bunch of cards, uh, make sure that your deck is built enough so to you, win with seven. So it's a bigger
1: advantage to not play Consecrated Sphinx ever?
2: To I think it's a big advantage to be able to win with your seven cards.
1: I mean, I think you you can, but if you could just hold seven more cards, a lot of times that is good though, right?
2: It's Yes, it is. It okay, is, it's not like, bad. It is good to have more cards than not. I totally yeah. agree with that.
1: So if your deck is often going to be faced with that choice, then Reliquary Tower, Reliquary Tower is correct, because if you're admitting that it's good and I'm going to be facing that a lot, then I want I want to keep them. It's not that much better. Well, how much worse is it to have it? How much does it hurt you? I think that it. I think that if it hurts your
2: mana base even a little bit, or or what are you giving up as well? So if you're but giving you have up to weigh the land, downside with fine. the upside. You're, you're admitting there right. is an upside.
1: There okay. is an upside. Yeah. You're right.
2: It could be, it could be a lot of other stuff.
1: Okay. Well, we're going to have to, I think I agree with you. It's overrated. I just, it sounds like you're saying don't ever play it. I don't agree with that at all.
2: I think that, I think that if you're trying to win,
1: I try and win. I think I've established that.
2: But I think that you are, I think that you are, you are getting to a certain level where you're not trying the most to win. You're actually want you're enjoying you're building your deck around an, a unique play experience that has you drawing a fun amount of cards and keeping that as no great. I
1: I put railway tower in decks where I think it will help me win.
2: I'm wondering in what situations are you are you generating that much like 30 cards in your hand Consecrated You guys spanks. have all
1: seen me do it on game nights many times. <laughs> I mean I do it all the time. And, I build most of my decks, or not most, but many decks to have the potential to draw huge amounts of cards.
2: And and you feel like holding on to all of those cards are really important for your ability to win that game.
1: Yeah, I think it ups my chances by a lot. Just the ability to, to handle anything. Just the ability to like, I got to answer that, I can answer that. I got to take advantage of this situation, I can take advantage of it. I got to combo with that card, I can combo with it. I don't know what's going to happen and now I don't have to predict. I think that's an advantage. Yeah. But if yeah. you're just a normal deck that's drawing a normal amount of cards, has a Phyrexian Arena once in a while, but doesn't have like a big explosive Stroke of Genius for 25 at some point, then you don't need it. And if you're four or five colors, really think hard about it because then I think it's hurting you quite a bit. Yeah. But if you're two colors, it doesn't cost you a ton. It costs it costs you
2: a, um, a utility land slot.
1: Yeah. But you can have six or seven of those in a two-color deck, maybe eight.
2: Yep, and I think that I think that there are a lot of utility lands that are people do play that aren't as good as Reliquary Tower.
1: All right, okay. moving on. Here's a card I have in one deck, and I should take it out. It's Progenitor Mimic. This is for a green and a blue for a creature. When it enters the battlefield, you choose another creature on the battlefield, and it clones it. But then, on your upkeep, it creates a token that's a copy of whatever it cloned. Sounds awesome, right? Because... I play it. I copy whatever the best thing is on the board.
2: And you get another one next And day. then
1: on my upkeep, I get one. And then on the next upkeep, I get one. And then on the next upkeep, I get one. And it sounds sweet.
2: If no one ever deals with you or interacts with you at all, I'm pretty sure you'll win that game.
1: That is the rub. If no one ever... 99% of the time, it's just a really expensive clone. Because the table cannot let it live. (laughs) (laughs) They can't. They know. And they will board wipe at that point or they'll pinpoint removal it or whatever. But you just overpaid for an effect.
2: I think one of the advantages of a clone is being able to pay less mana for the thing you're copying. Yes. And if you're paying six, there's fewer opportunities for that. I've... Played a clone and copied a wood elves before and been like, do you know what? I'll pay four, I'll pay four and I'll get that three drop. Fine, I'm willing to do that or or copy a solemn. Uh, Granted, you could get a lot of value by progenitor mimicking a wood elves, but man, you're not getting that value until several turns from there, and that just limits the flexibility of that card.
1: And you're talking to the guy who plays Vidal in almost every one of his decks, and this would be a great card. Not great, but it's way better if you have a Dalkanori, right? You cast it on the end step, then get that upkeep trigger right away. You get two clones. But two clones for six mana is not an amazing deal. It's just a good deal. And the fact that that's the best-case scenario for that card that you have to set up with another card kind of tells you, like, most of the time, I have this in my rune deck Mm -hmm. because I have a lot of ETB effects. Most of the time, I'd probably just rather have a clone because I could cast it way earlier for four mana. I can get my ETB to go off. Like if I have a mold drifter, I don't want to pay six. I want to pay four.
2: And also clones aren't just clone anymore. They yeah. have like instant speed stunt double. You have, um, they have, they have haste the or something. Can, the one or... that can copy anything like a planes, yeah. not a planeswalker. Don't do that. Clever like impersonator. Artifacts. Yeah, clever yeah. impersonator and stuff like yeah.
1: that. It's just, Progenitor Mimic is just looks really good. And I've just always been unhappy with it. Yeah. All right, the next one I feel like is kind of along the lines of Reliquary Tower for me. For me as well. So it's Chromatic Lantern. We went into this a little bit uh, when it got reprinted for Guilds of Ravnica. I think we talked about it slightly. So this is a three-mana artifact that taps for mana of any color and also makes it for... uh, So that your lands can now tap for mana of any color. So it really... It's a convenience thing. It really makes it so you don't have to think about which lands you need to tap for stuff, which ones you need to leave untapped, actually, are the big thing you don't have to think about.
2: But Josh, if I have Chromatic Lantern, it makes my Reliquary Tower tap for any mana. There
1: you go. Boom. Solved. <laughs> Solved it. <laughs> now, now Reliquary Tower is just right. a normal this land. Great. and it's good.
2: Um, no, it's even better. It's taps for any color.
1: That's true. It's This now... is the
2: best dual land in the world. OG duel. OG duels. Oh, you can't fetch one. Dang it. <laughs> okay. Um, but, like, let's start off by saying Manolith is bad.
1: Yeah, Manolith is a three-mana artifact that taps for a man of any color. They, yeah. You would never play that card. Darksteel Ingot is the sort of the other three-mana one that taps for which is indestructible, which I think is actually makes it better than Chromatic Lantern most of the time. Because you get hosed when you go, you know, Signet, Signet, some other rock, and they go Vandal Blast. You you just probably lost the game whereas dark ingot it can sort of save you a little from that uh, chromatic lantern <sighs> i would like people who are playing chromatic lantern to count the number of times it matters as far as what you're allowed what you're able to cast i bet it's very low now the upside of like i don't have to have that awful moment where I'm like, why didn't I leave a blue and a black open so I could cast this thing? I forgot, and now it's somebody else's turn.
2: By the way, you should probably leave the blue and the black open anyways because people blow up Chromatic Lanterns incidentally all the time.
1: Yeah, which can turn it off at a time when you don't want it turned off and you planned to not have to think about your mana. So then that's a really good point. Now I've got to think about my mana. Even when Chromatic Lantern is out, that makes it horrible because the only good thing about it, and listen, I do run it in some decks, The good thing about it is being able to turn that part of your brain off. Oh, it's great. Yeah. You're playing, you're focused
2: on everything else. You're just like, I don't have to focus on lands. Just, I can just count them up. And it just all magically works.
1: Now, I don't think this card is unplayable, and I think there are situations in decks where you do want to play it. For instance, I have a multicolored deck that has Sneak Attack in it. Sneak Attack costs a red to activate. Mm. And I know if I get Sneak Attack into play, I want to activate it as many times as possible because it's got card's insane. So... I want Chromatic Lantern in that deck for that moment when I play Sneak Attack and now all my lands can tap for red. That is a very specific reason to want a card like that and it has nothing to do with me wanting all my... to not calculate like, okay, I have Abzan Charm in my hand, so let me leave these three open. Chromatic Lantern allows you to forget about that. I do think, though, that most of the time Dark Stealing it is better. And almost always just make sure you have the on-color Signets are going to be better. They just come out earlier.
2: Yeah. Or like... um, uh, cold steel heart um, the coalition relic coalition relic sometimes that gives you two mana <laughs> yeah that's that when you need it it yeah. might give you two which is, is really warden good is power stone better I would play warden power stone over it
1: I think so too yeah I um, mean
2: I certainly like um, if
1: it's three colors or less but if it's four or five colors I would I think the chromatic yeah, the, the, might the be chromatic better chromatic lantern might be better yeah, yeah.
2: what about the tomb, felwar stone
1: oh felwar stone's way better all the two mana rocks are, that make colored mana I think are better
2: all the talismans
1: They make make colorless and
2: and then they pain for the two.
1: They might be. It's close.
2: That's how far down we're we're, we're quibbling about this. So definitely overrated.
1: I think so because I see it a lot. And a lot of times I just want you to look like how often is this actually making me able to do something I wouldn't be able to do? It's most of the time making you have to think less. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, hey, that has value. Don't get me wrong. All right. The next two are a little bit contentious. Uh so we I'll actually
2: ju- hit some of our contentious ones early and we didn't I did know it. We didn't realize we didn't even that Reliquary realize, Tower we didn't even was realize so that we were going to have contentious ones. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. So this one's mine uh that I think is overrated and it's Mimic Vat. It's 3 mana for an artifact. It has imprint. When a non-token creature dies you may exile that card. If you do return each other card exiled with Mimic Vat to its owner's graveyard and then you can pay 3 tap the Mimic Vat, and create a token that's a copy of the card exiled with Mimic Vat. Mimic it gains haste, and you exile at the beginning of the next end step. So, I'm playing with TJ. Somehow, his big awesome creature dies. I imprint it on Mimic Vat. And now, for three and tap the Mimic Vat, I can make a sort of uh, kiki-jiki copy of it, right? A hasty Hasted copy token. that goes away at the end of the turn. Certainly, there are decks where this is good because... We just talked about one a couple months ago, Brutaclad. Brutaclad!
2: Oh, yeah. Super good in a deck like that. big
1: token. Things that care about big tokens. If you have Sundial of the Infinite in your deck for some other reason, then maybe that maybe gets a lot better because you can keep the token forever. A deck that is sacrificing its own stuff and knows that it's going to the graveyard... That's really, really good. Mimic Vac has incidental graveyard hate value in that like maybe they're going to pull off that Boon Weaver giant combo we were talking about and you go, eh, I'm going to imprint that thing.
2: Do I even need to talk? Like It seems like you're making all my arguments for me right now.
1: No, I know. it just good. sounds great. I know it's good and I think it is a good card. I just think it's overrated. There's many mm. games I see it in play and the person literally never uses it. They've, they've,
2: you've seen it in play and there's never been a creature that needs to go to the graveyard that there you are can imprint many, on it?
1: There's actually games where creatures don't really go to the graveyard much because exile effects, tuck effects, cyclonic rift and bounce effects. People are onto this thing where like, hey, I don't want your stuff going to your graveyard because it's good for you when it goes there. Chaos warps and whatnot. There's tons and tons. In fact, I'd say most of the removal that you want to put in your deck, swords to plowshares and stuff like that, is taking into account the fact that they'd rather not have it just be destroyed. Yes, there are games where Wrath of God type stuff happens, but in general, Hallowed Burial is going to be Merciless Eviction. People are going to choose that type of effect when they can. And I think Mimic Vat gets way worse if you don't have a deck. People just kind of throw it into a deck assuming things are going to die. You have to be the one guaranteeing stuff's going to die, whether it's yours or other people's stuff. Mimic Vat is not just pure value. It is good... But there are many decks I see it that just... It's kind of like Eternal Witness. If you just activate this thing one time, you're not doing it. You don't want this in your deck. Yeah. You need... The Mimic Vac needs to interact. You have to, to have something interact.
2: really good on there to activate it one time and have it be worth it. And
1: yeah. you need to guarantee that you're getting stuff onto it. You need to be... I'm either like destroying creatures all the time and my deck can do that a lot. Or I'm just sacrificing my own creatures and stuff.
2: Or you just have, yeah, you have creatures too. Or you have a sack outlet. Even if you're going to play this in a non-creature deck and hope.
1: I think even if you just have a lot of creatures, it doesn't count. Now, if you have sack outlets and you're trying to do graveyardy stuff and you're guaranteeing you're going to put your creatures in your graveyard, yes. But just, I'm going to play a lot of creatures. I don't think that's good enough. Cyclonic Rifts, Merciless Evictions, all that stuff doesn't give a crap about Mim fat. You're just going to sit there being sad sometimes.
2: So you're going to play a four-player game and you're playing creatures. I've had it happen and and then no one else is playing creatures or when they do, they're getting all exiled or bounced or anything like I've that? I've had it
1: happen. And, and it happens to, you learn this with like graveyard synergy stuff that's like, I need seven cards in my graveyard or whatever. And there's just certain games where you're just like, <sighs> if my deck can't guarantee putting that stuff there, I can't count on it, can I? Because there's going to be some percentage of games, maybe it's 10%, where like, that's not how the game rolls out. There are propaganda and stuff. They don't, they're leaving stuff on the battlefield. Maybe I ain't doing nothing.
2: So... I think that this is a little bit strange because you're talking about a card which feels like it should be good in a lot of situations. creatures. And I think you got to be
1: a little more specific than that.
2: I, I sometimes I don't think so. I think that if you are playing creatures, sometimes and, it's
1: the sometimes that get you,
2: but then do does that mean that the decks with like ghostly prison and propaganda that have protection from creatures? You're like, well, sometimes those are just dead cards because then there's never creatures on the battlefield. We we know, mean, your board wipe isn't good. We know because from gameplay stats not that creatures. like
1: combat damage is going to happen in almost every game. Also, you know they've got some creatures. They're called yeah. Commanders. So,
2: but, but if combat commanders can't
1: go to the graveyard, though, that's right. So they go this get does not.
2: This does not get commanders. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, so but th- it seems like we are packing a lot of hate for creatures. And then also there's situations where then suddenly we have to prepare for no creatures happening. And you know that one player at least has a critical mass of creatures. You're going to play this in a deck where you have creatures. And I don't think you need to go crazy on the sack outlets, but
1: sometimes you also need the creature to have an ETB or something, right? Like, I agree. yeah, you can't just have like creatures. They got to, they got to do something with an answer. Now that's most decks that have creatures are mostly ETB creatures, but still I've definitely, and it might be a symptom of the fact that I play a lot of decks that don't have a lot of creatures. I'm not a big combat guy. I think the combat step is overrated. So I'm contributing to part of the problem for that mimic, mimic Vat person. But I have definitely played in many games where Mimic Vat comes out, does nothing. Just doesn't have an effect on the game in any way. I've played in multiple games where the Mimic Vat is never imprinted or never activated. I don't see
2: those games very often.
1: I've seen it multiple times.
2: I, I, I wonder how that weighs out with, uh, I mean, you can tell us in the, in the comments down below or something like that. Uh, I wonder how that weighs out with the time when you get a Grey Merchant under, under it or you get uh, a Wood Elves and suddenly, or Solemn Simulacrum and you're getting a card or uh, a card in the land every single turn. Or there's actually, there's a lot of cards. I mean, three mana like ain't that.
1: nothing. So you gotta be doing something pretty good.
2: I think that, I agree with you. Three mana isn't nothing, but.
1: If it was just tap into it then I would say, yeah, okay, it would be broken. Don't get me wrong.
2: What happens if there's like an eternal witness underneath it?
1: I mean, you can name BCSM all you want, but I'm saying there are... I don't think that's cases. best case
2: scenario mentality. I think that that is actually what happens in a lot of games. I mean, you can
1: what if it, right? What if you get an it that betrays under it? Sweet, then it's awesome. And but I don't still... think that's
2: even... I don't even think I'm bringing up an ipat betrays. I'm thinking like a secure tri-builder. But that's a card
1: that puts itself there. But if you don't, ha- if your deck's not built around getting, like if it's not Marin or something, if it's Rune.
2: I think that it's actually good in, I think it's actually good in a lot of decks where you can really reliably get stuff in the graveyard. But I actually think it holds its own uh, in creature based strategies. See,
1: I had it in my Rune deck for a long time and just very often I was disappointed with it and it didn't do much. Because
2: and you're you're sort of blinking. And I have you tons of, of creatures. You do have tons they of creatures. They just
1: don't die that much. And it's it's hit or miss whether I really really want to pay three mana to bring that back over and over and over again.
2: Really? Yeah.
1: It's. I mean, you have creatures in your deck deck
2: that you don't want to bring back for three mana over and over
1: again. Yeah, because three mana is a lot. I could be casting a new creature out of my hand, or one of the ones that's still alive. I could be blinking it. But then you
2: could be holding it into your hand and keeping, and then using the resources. I mean.
1: Yeah, but I'm trying to win. Like I got to make the best play.
2: That's true, but sometimes the best play is taking advantage of of a really good deal that you have on the board. I'm not saying and that I never use it.
1: I just said I'm just saying that the the high amount of times where it felt like it wasn't worth it, where it sat in my hand, where it wasn't the play I could choose to do, and then when I put it out, it just did very little, hmm. because that deck's not sacrificing its stuff. So I'm counting on somebody else to kill my stuff to attack me, so I can block to whatever. And the fact that the hey. fact of the matter was, there was many many games where that just wasn't happening to either the right creatures or enough creatures to make Fact worth it. And I've definitely, like I said, seen it across the battlefield where it's just like, eh, didn't do much.
2: Hmm. I've had it in situations where it changes the game.
1: Yeah, I've definitely seen it go off, too. I'm not saying it can't. I'm just saying, like, usually those decks are the ones that are guaranteed can put stuff in their graveyards. I very... The other ones are roll of the dice, whether or not, if you're relying on your opponents to do the thing for Mimic Vat, then you're in trouble. Like if you're in Marin or something or whatever, I don't know if they run it in Marin, but that type of deck.
2: Marin might be on the edge because the graveyard synergies are so strong. You you don't don't necessarily want to exile exile it in front of it. Um, But I mean, a lot of of things that could be in like a Golgari deck, like just imagine like Plague Crafter or something like that. Or Or Sweet. Yeah. When somebody gets a
1: flesh bag on it, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. But bag puts itself in the graveyard, and if you have Fleshbag, Merciless mm. Executioner, and Plaguecracker all in a deck, that's a reason to run Mimic Bat. But not all decks do that.
2: I mean, but, like, I feel like so many cards do this really, really well. Like, and even if they don't, like, the creatures go to the graveyard.
1: They... I think they go to the graveyard less than you think, or at least in my games they do. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, right. I just... Let us
2: know. This is one of the ones that that Josh and I might disagree on. Might. I'm pretty sure we do. Yeah, we do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But this next one I think we're going to disagree on too.
2: Yeah, the next one we're going to disagree on too, I think. Okay, my uh, overrated card is a very good one. My overrated card is Force of Will. Force of Will is three blue blue, five mana counter target spell.
1: That I sounds. Keep, bad. I should keep. I should keep going. You all know what it does, but yeah. <laughs> you can
2: also exile a blue card from your hand and uh, pay one life uh, to counter target spells, so it can be a free counter spell.
1: Free mana costs you a card, so you're down a card. Cost two, two, two for one yourself.
2: You two for one yourself. Yeah.
1: Well, you're countering a spell, so you're down a card to that opponent.
2: Yeah, and at the the table, two the cards other two for the other two players. There. Yeah. Uh, So, wait a second. This is a mainstay in Legacy. It's a
1: very expensive card. It's a very expensive card. One of the known most powerful cards in Magic of all time.
2: People love this card. Why do I think it's overrated? I think that it's only good in very specific circumstances. And in many situations, a normal counterspell will be just fine. I think that the very specific situations that it's good at is when you are comboing off and protecting your combo, or when you are forced to react very quickly to opponent's combos. So I think the more competitive you get, the better force of will is when you desperately need it. I think in most situations, if you go down two cards for someone's average play in a multiplayer setting, I think that that's actually actively bad. That, that card disadvantage that you have just for interrupting one opponent, unless you're losing the game, is a huge cost. And it's a cost that a lot of us uh, don't really feel in many situations. Uh, I think that normal counter spells are, are also put you at a little bit of a disadvantage. Remember, if I'm countering your spell, we're both down a card and our opponents are like, sweet. yep, And they're they've lost nothing. So I might feel like I'm at parity with you one for oneing, but in actuality at the multiplayer setting, we are both kind of down. Right. And then I'm gonna put myself down a whole nother card with force of will. I better really, really need that spell countered or not care because I'm winning the game. I think that this also goes along with uh Pact of Negation. Again, a very powerful counter spell, but this one might even be overrated in kind of the same way where people say like, oh, you got to put it in this deck. I think it's only good if you're really protecting your win or interrupting a win.
1: Those are good points. Um, I I think Force of Will is an insanely powerful card though. And I think you have to give a lot of points to it for being a card that does something that no other card does. It will just save you in situations where there's not a single other card in Magic that would save you. Maybe Foil.
2: Commandeer and Misdirection and Foil.
1: Yeah. Misdirection probably won't save you in a lot of those situations. I mean, it and has to be pretty, yeah. yeah. Specific situations, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think that gives it a power level that there's just not a lot of replacement for that effect. And but the how fact,
2: often do you need that? I think you only need that effect if you're, I think you're about sealing to win a win. I, I think win.
1: sealing a win is very important in multiplayer. In In other formats you know they often talk about the like limited resources talk about the quadrant theory right Mm -hmm. the developing part of the game when you're ahead when you're at parity when you're winning to a 1v1 style of magic when you're winning is the least important because most cards will push you towards a win in that circumstance right like a 4-4 off the top of your deck will help you win as much as a force of will will however in multiplayer because of the king of the hill aspect securing a win staying on top when you're winning is much more difficult because you have three players trying to pull you down and so sealing a win is very very important and much more important i think than in the other formats and so the fact that force of will will seal a win in a way that very few cards almost none will i think makes it that power now i think i agree with you overrated not from the standpoint of the power of the card but how people play it you should never use a force of Will. Unless you're talking about one of the situations you're talking about. You're going to die. You're going to win. Those are the two situations. Otherwise, you're using it incorrectly. And I think you forget about an aspect of the card. You can cast it for its five mana. And I've done it many times.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm also wondering if, if you're sort of winning, how much that nothing is. How much that zero is. Because... What about, negate, what about a negate or a swan song? I think swan song and dispel and negate are, are very Because you're talking about trying effects. to win
1: two turns later. That's a big gap.
2: I think that that means that you're absolutely right. And so I think that the more competitive you get, the better you are. Because your mana becomes that much more crunched.
1: Yeah, but I think it can it still can be applied to, like the difference between turn 14 and turn 16 is a big gap. So is the difference between turn 10 and turn 12. And so is the difference between turn seven and turn nine. And so is the difference between turn five and turn seven, right? It's still a two, like two more mana is so much. So I think two more, mana, two I think more no mana matter is where a you bit. are, I think.
2: But n- one more mana could be just one more turn.
1: It could be, but one more turn is a lot. We know that the player that goes first has an advantage and we speculate that's because they have this moment before everybody else has the moment. So grabbing the moment early is very powerful. And force of will allows you to grab it early.
2: Force of will protects you in that situation where you've tried to go off and tried to win. It that feel, doesn't that feel so situational where like essentially you are ready to go off, you're ready to win and you need that exact right amount of mana and you have no other mana to hold up any other sort of interaction.
1: But I think that situation... Like, we've all been in the King of the Hill games where we're on top, but we don't win that game. And I think...
2: Yes, that happens a lot.
1: Yeah, and I think some decent percentage of that time, if you had Force of Will in your hand and a blue card, uh, and we're playing blue, obviously, um, you would be able to take it. Whereas, if you have to go for your big play and leave yourself open to, you know, XYZ happening, then you're not going to. I, I... yeah, I just think it's it's a sort of an irreplaceable effect.
2: It is a very it is a very unique effect. I actually think it is pretty replaceable, and in a lot of games, uh, you're actually going to gain more advantage off of having those one mana counter spells, those two mana counter spells that are more applicable in more situations. The five the five mana counter spell, the normal mode of Force of Will, uh, doesn't feel good.
1: Uh, it depends on the situation. Sometimes you're there's not a lot else going on, and you're like, oh, I'll just pay five for it for for here. I mean, I've definitely cast it for its full mana cost, and been totally fine with it because the difference is is nothing to me at that point. But I've definitely been in situations where I don't want to discard the card either, and I'm like, crap. But those are usually like, I'm going to die, so I have to do it. And that's just a situation where you're either dead or you're not. You don't have a chance to win the game if you're dead. I think that, I think that if you're putting yourself...
2: You're only putting yourself in those situations because you know you have the Force of Will in your hand.
1: No, the game will put... You, I've been in games where I'm not even playing blue, where I'm in those same situations. I just don't have a card that can get me out of it. At least in this case, I do.
2: I think that you are you are saying that I, I agree with you that this card number one is gets much better is if you're more competitive, where the mana curve matters a lot I didn't say that. You said that. <laughs> you don't agree with that.
1: I, I think, like I said, the difference between turn 14 and turn 16 is just as big in those playgroups as turn 10 and turn 12. I think in in playgroups that but are, you are less need competitive, 14 mana to win. I mean, I, in a less competitive play group.
2: In a less competitive, you think it's a good, good idea for someone in a less competitive play group from going from for trying to win at fourteen mana to have force of will backup.
1: I said turn fourteen.
2: Or turn fourteen. Where they that doesn't like, mean you have
1: fourteen mana. You have okay. eleven or twelve. Eleven mana. Yeah.
2: That that kind of player should have force of will to back up their combo to Not back that, up their win.
1: You're putting words in my mouth. Should is totally different than would they be better off if they did? Yes. By how much? A large percent, for sure. If you're going for your game-winning play, and somewhere in there you're going to right, like you I, have to try. And I don't think it's
2: that big of an. I don't think it's that big of an advantage over a card like dispel or swan song if you're protecting your. If you're protecting your win, that there are a lot of other cards that protect think of your it, win. Think
1: about it this way: I can have swan song and force of will, and now I got two counter spells to your one.
2: That is that is true. And what about? I I actually think that swan song dispel and Negate all go above Force of Will.
1: You would play them, money considerations aside, above it?
2: In some decks, yes. In decks that are planning on going to turn 14 or whatever?
1: Hmm. No, I don't think I could say that. I would play maybe Swan Song above it. Negate can't counter a creature... It's great. Don't get me wrong. I think it's very underrated.
2: I think that negate negate you can actually use it at different points in the game, whereas force of will it's so it's so limited. You can hit it on five, which I you think you think it's fine and you're happy with that. I'm very unhappy if I'm paying it for five, and I don't want to be going down that card advantage to hit something in the middle of a game that it is very narrow and it is only for saving, saving yourself in desperation, which by the way, saves your life. That's fine, but puts you at a huge disadvantage still compared to the rest of the table, or securing a win. It's very narrow in my opinion.
1: But I think that the securing of the win is worth so many more points than the downside of it. Like you're just going to win more games by securing the win with it. Like I think it if you go for your winning play and you either have force of wheel in your hand or don't. I think your chance to win in that situation is doubled.
2: But what's your what's the card that you have instead of that force of will? Let's obviously say obviously if you have a if you have a force of will negate. and another
1: let's say it's negate.
2: And you have a, so if you have force of will and another card.
1: Let's say I go to expropriate. Okay the difference between me playing that on turn nine or turn eleven with nine mana and having force of will and me playing that two turns later and having negate is huge.
2: You're, you are absolutely right. In that situation, I'm you, just are simplifying the situation you are essentially it. going going for the win yeah. and having it in that specific situation where you're going for win. It doesn't the have win. to be
1: expropriate though. It could be doubling season into my Planeswalker. It could be, you know, the last piece of my combo. It could be a sneak attack into all that stuff. It could be a million different big explosive plays that we talk about on the show all the time. Whatever the big explosive play you're going to do, when you go to do it, if you have Force Will in your hand, I think your chance to win, and I'm just making up a number, but it's probably doubled.
2: I don't think it's I don't think it's doubled, and I think that if you do have other counterspell backup, that it's that it's more applicable at different points in the game, and so it might get you to that that uh, point a little bit better than force of will. That you can you can use those counterspells more readily than force of will. Force of will is very good in that exact one situation. I think unless you're running
1: 15 counterspells, you should almost always save one to protect trying to win or trying to die. You should never be using it in most situations no matter what it is. And I don't run a lot of decks, I guess, with 15 counterspells. They usually have three or four and I'm almost always saving it for the win.
2: Which is another thing that Josh mentioned earlier is that people might be misusing it.
1: Well, I think counter... We've talked about this before, right? Counterspell is the hardest card to play. That effect because your window to use it and know if it's right is smaller than the other effects. Right. You don't get to see it, hit the battlefield and interact with anything or see
2: where it's going, see whatever. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, you have to like act now or forever hold your peace. And that makes it difficult. And you also have to have great knowledge of your opponent's deck to use it correctly. And what cards are on the battlefield and how it's going to interact. Cause once it hits, the dominoes may start falling and the counter spell will do nothing. So you have to f- see into the future more with counter spells. So they're definitely hard to play. Uh, but yeah, just to me, that effect is so powerful and so hard to replace and does things no other card does, which puts it into a category that, yeah. I, if I had Force of like, I don't play Force of Will in every deck, A, because I don't have that many. Mm-hmm. And B, because it's not the kind of card that people like, you know. It's not a card you want to put in all your decks. Now, I have no problem playing against you, but if I'm at a GP, I'm probably not pulling out a deck that has Force of Will in it just because that's a different level of deck, maybe more competitive in general, but it's because I put them in my more competitive decks because I'm going to pull those out in situations where it's more competitive, but I don't think it's better or worse in non-competitive places. It's just that doesn't tend to go well as far as the mentality at the table. Like people don't tend to be like, sweet, you've got force of will when they're all playing with precons.
2: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but would force of will be really good against pre-con decks? Yes. I think that if you threw a force of will in your pre-con deck, it wouldn't be that good. I think that your decks uh, that you're playing it in are at the right power level to be able to use the Force of Will better than a lot of
1: other decks. Yeah, I think you probably have to be at a seven on the power level because you have to be protecting an explosive play. Yeah, and so that's pre, what I mean by a the pre-con's higher not, the power a level A pre-con's you get. not, yeah. So the
2: higher power level you get, like I said before, the more you Force of Will works for that deck. And if you, if well, you no, have no, like an believe, average deck, you know, I think there's just a the threshold, you just
1: cross it. If your deck is looking for explosive plays to win the game, which most good decks are, then then force of will is great but yeah if you're at pre-con level or below it probably isn't because a pre is not likely to have a play on any turn and definitely not until they get to like 20 mana that's going to be like boom boom i'm going to win if, unless you can stop this
2: yeah, I, right. I agree. I think yeah. that, th- I, but I actually think that I maybe we have a different disagreement in that because I think that way more decks in the world don't have that that situation that that uh, sort of combo that comes together I don't that know, explosive play. man, we've been play. talking
1: for two hundred and forty-four weeks trying to tell people to to improve their decks, and I think a lot of them out there have good decks. And the ones I see out in the wild, for the most part, are strong. They're more. Most decks I'd say are sevens that I see. Hmm. I don't see a lot of fives.
2: Do they bring the sevens to you? And, the and fives... then a lot of them are playing with fives. I don't know.
1: And the fives and the fours that I see are—they're the purposeful mis- fives. They're the miscut force. cards. They're the yeah, Vorthos ones. Fives they're the force. guess what my theme is. I love is de- the
2: purposeful fives. And I think fours, they're great,
1: the but they're not playing the same game, right? They're they're doing something totally different. They're not trying. Like if most people are worked on their deck at all, it's probably close to a seven. I think
2: people put Force of Will way up here in terms of their expectations. I should go above the screen, way up there in terms of their expectations. Uh, And it's much more narrow and it is very good the more impressive and the more uh, competitive your deck is. And I think that if you're moving towards a 10 or a competitive deck or a CDH deck, it's amazing and irreplaceable. And then as you keep going down, you have, you're less likely to have explosive plays or your play group is more likely to give you the room to be able to find other opportunities to protect your explosive plays. Then other cards become better because they're more flexible at different points in the game.
1: Okay. Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess I can agree with the idea that like you can use suboptimal <laughs> stuff as you move down the chain. One of, one of the things that Josh down and I- the chain.
2: One of the things that we might disagree on this thing, but one of the things we do both agree with is that people spew- force of will all the time uh, they want to they, they're they love the idea of like force your soul rank. you
1: didn't see that coming did you
2: <laughs> force i've seen force your yeah, soul rank, don't ever do that like so many times and that's the one thing that we do agree on is that some people even though it might be we might have a disagreement on where exactly or how overweighted it is we do agree that it might be overrated in the way that we see it played a lot of times
1: yeah i don't I don't think that has to do with its rating so much as like that person has identified that Force of Will is good and I agree with them. However, they haven't learned quite how to play it yet. So they're using it in situations where I don't think that's right. But I think those are play that's like a tactical decision.
2: I think that a lot of these uh, overrated cards are sort of tactical decisions. They're not playing in the right situations.
1: Well, I, I mean, deploying it, it should be in their deck, but they're just deploying it wrong. Whereas Eternal Witness, I, there's times, or yeah, My Elder is a better one, where I'm like, uh, I don't actually think the card should even be in your deck.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
2: Maybe it matches Brainstorm where they're deploying it wrong.
1: <laughs> it's like if they had Swords to Plowshares, but they always just had like some weird tick where they would just kill the second best creature on the board every time. Then that card would be bad. <laughs> I mean... Because if Swords to Plowshares said only kills second best creature on the board, it's not that great. But those are choices that the player's making, so that's not a knock against the card.
2: Yeah, but, but remember, overrated and underrated is in people's minds, you know what I mean? No, no, it it has to do with yeah. part of how they play it.
1: I don't think it does. It just has to do with how they rate it. Force of will, they're rating correctly. They're just not deploying it correctly.
2: <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay.
1: okay. <laughs> All right. To the listeners. Now, you should do the flick thing because last time it worked so good.
2: Oh, this one? This yeah. one like this? No! Uh,
1: I want to try that, actually. How did you get it to go so high? I don't... Well, I mean, I, I
2: have lots of I have lots of failed attempts. You forget this. Yeah, you had lots I of fail, practice. I fail a lot <laughs> to get this right.
1: All right. To the listeners, what do you think the most overrated card is that we did not mention. Or
2: just comment on our, just like Josh and I, we had some back and forth going on here. Yeah. Leave your comments down below. We want to know what you guys think about these cards. Go ahead, yell at us. Tell us what you think.
1: That's yell at Josh, you can tweet yeah. at him. You guys like yelling at me, so go Actually, ahead. Actually, you can Do tweet it.
2: at me. I don't have enough Twitter followers at Jumbo Commander.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yell at him, Reliquary Tower uh, what was the other one, Force of Will. They're yeah, gonna come at me for MimicFat. They're all, listen, yeah. all the, a lot of the cards on the thing were good, They're just <laughs> we just think they're overrated, all right. Yeah. Worth uh,
2: discussing, right?
1: if you think that i'm totally wrong and mimic VAT is awesome then you should go to cardkingdom.com command zone and type in mimic Vat and pick up one for your deck or maybe one for all your decks and maybe you should want to force a will and a reliquary tower while you're there <laughs> you'll be simultaneously getting a card that you don't think is overrated at all and you will be supporting this podcast extra turns game nights and all of our content we super appreciate it and if you're going to pick up force of will specifically make sure you get some sleeves to protect that thing cuz it is not cheap so you don't want anything to happen to it you want, don't want it to get scuffed up you don't want you know so so get some some uh, eclipse sleeves maybe double sleeve that thing get some ultra <laughs> pro products and make sure that your your purchase doesn't go to waste because yeah i've definitely seen that happen and don't do this thing i've I tap the card when like that it triggers. should have been a, that should have been a pet peeve for you, but it's my own thing that I do and I'm trying <laughs> but to. But you don't doing. like it. You don't like I it, hate it by yourself. It. Yeah. So what I what I've noticed that I do is stop like, doing this. This is a bonus. This.
2: this is bonus from the last episode <laughs> carried through.
1: It's like uh, you know, I'll play a card. And it'll trigger another card. So I'll I'll hit the top of that the card that triggered. I'll go trigger, trigger. this, and with my finger, and my fingernail will actually leave an ind- indentation in the card that I tapped. And so let's say you go to your upkeep and you untap and you go trigger my mana crypt and I've looked at my mana crypt and it has oh, a no. fingernail sh- shaped How about indentation like a in it uh, every time you hit it too so so yeah so don't, A don't do that and B maybe double sleeve or something I don't double sleeve because I'm lazy but you know I double sleeve but just protect your cards use those for pro products that's my story okay <laughs> <laughs> now it's time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic I have one written down here because I can talk about it, but I I did the last one, so I wanted to give you an opportunity.
2: But you do give me the opportunity now, like on on. Okay, so I'll talk about mine then. So you don't have here. one, so you didn't prepare. I got one. <laughs> okay, my end step. My end step is a new book that I'm super excited. Uh, what is it? I like. Yeah. This. This oh no, no, that I'm super excited to listen to. Uh, I listen to them because I have a long commute, uh, and this book oh, is. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, This book is called Skyward.
1: It might be by Brandon Sanderson. Just Just came out.
2: Brandon Sanderson is an amazing author. He's so amazing that uh, when Robert Jordan, uh, a sort of famous fantasy writer who wrote The Wheel of Time, an epic series, one of the longest series of books ever.
1: And... Long in the amount of time it took and the amount of pages that it is. I think that's I started crazy. reading it in '94.
2: I don't remember when I started reading it. It was definitely but, high school. But so when when this massive figure Robert Jordan died, She's they like thought ten books in. And, who would be done. the best person to finish this? They picked Brandon Sanderson. He has the Mistborn trilogy, which actually I Robert love a Jordan lot.
1: picked him, I believe, before oh, really? he passed. Yeah, I think what that, a high I think That's true. I think that's true. Yeah.
2: And could you imagine, by the way, like finishing a a, a fantasy series that people have loved and having picking someone to finish it and then having people not complain? Could you imagine that scenario? No. It it happened. It happened, yeah. People were like, good job. How does that happen in a fandom? (laughs) Where like where the author passes away and everyone's so sad and everyone's like... You know, good choice on The Replacement. Well done.
1: Turns out Brandon Sanderson, pretty good writer.
2: He has some of my favorite books. We have the Mistborn trilogy. We, oh, yeah. have, we have the Stormlight Archive, which is his high fantasy. I really like that's that That's his wheel of time. Yeah, that's his wheel of time. I really like that there's different different levels because like the Stormlight Archive is like deep fantasy. It's like you are in there. It's and then,
1: like- uh... It's like Game of Thrones. Like yeah. Level. yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Like, or the Shannara things, stuff like that, like really high fantasy. And then he has stuff like Mistborn that's a little bit more lighthearted. Yeah. And then he has the the Cataclysm series, which Steel is, is like. Stealheart and all that. That's like Steel superheroes. Hearts, like, and stuff. Yeah, that's like superheroes <laughs> and a little bit more fun. And I think his range is amazing. And I'm so stoked to listen to this new book. I'm I'm really excited about it. Do you know what it's about? No, I don't even know what it's about. It just, I just downloaded That's it. That's when you and know gonna... an
1: author's good is when you don't care as a fan. You're just like, their book's coming out. I don't need to know anything about it. I I'm don't. buying it and I'm going to read it and... Brandon Sanderson definitely fits in that category. I'm actually yeah. like,
2: and do you know what else is a, a good indicator too? Like I'm saving, I'm traveling over Thanksgiving and I'm saving it to be like, I want something really good while I'm like moving around and doing airport stuff and stuff like that. Like I want something really good and I'm like saving it up for that.
1: Those are the best when you have something and that way you can look forward to the trip rather than dread it, right? Because yeah. <laughs> you're like, I have something cool to do while yeah. I'm traveling. So. Oh my
2: gosh. I love it. And-
1: I just want to say, Brandon Sanderson, a well-known big-time magic player.
2: Wait, he's a big-time magic player?
1: Yeah. The story I heard, I don't... This is unsubstantiated. How can so I like him more? Uh,
2: I have all of his books. I just gushed about him, and now I'm like... Yeah, you <laughs> I find out he's a magic player?
1: Yeah, he... Um, what I heard was... I think it was when he finished Wheel of Time that the gift he gave himself was he bought himself the Power Nine at that time. But he's a well-known magic player. Uh, Shivan Butt, who co-hosts the uh, Commander and podcast... Has drafted with him before. If you go to like, I guess if you go to like signing, book signings and stuff, often he'll try and like draft or play Magic afterwards if he has enough people. He's well known to be a big time Magic player. So.
2: I didn't, we didn't, we didn't.
1: as if he couldn't get any cooler I think you can tell because the oh, way he crafts God. the magic systems in his worlds are very did we very, talk about this off like, camera game before designers. yeah I, I thought we did but maybe yeah
2: the magic system in my specifically in the Mistborn yeah. series is very very good
1: it's very like a game and like he has all the rules down He's and how it thought it, works. it out yeah. and, the,
2: and the fighting sequences are so good back you know in forth. some
1: books how like it seems like oh the wizard could just kind of do anything I'm not sure what they can and can't do not in Brandon Sanderson books it's very well defined he, he knows the rules he knows the ins and outs i really like that about his stuff yeah yeah so skyward it it is fairly recent so go check it out another thing you should go check out is jumbo commander if you go to youtube and type in jumbo commander into the search bar you're gonna go to dj's channel if you didn't know he doesn't just co-host the podcast with me he has his own entire channel where he does deck techs you do arena singleton videos now he will have some videos kind of telling you what you should purchase around rotation to save money. What's your most recent uh, deck tech at this point? We're, we're a few weeks in the past for all you guys out there, but it's a Tristani deck, right?
2: Yeah. I I don't even know. What should I which I should I don't know what I'm gonna make a but ask one thing I do know you're gonna
1: do next, but what should I do it'll next? It'll be two in weeks the in the future yeah. and it won't help uh, you yeah.
2: One thing that I do know though is that I'm gonna be a GP Portland. So oh, yeah. yeah so that's coming you, right up. Wait, sorry. Should I call it Magic Fest Portland? Is
1: it Magic Fest yet? I think that's next year. Okay. I don't know. I'm not
2: at Magic Fest yet, but I'm going to be at Grand Prix Portland. <laughs> is that the an first... Ultimate
1: Masters one or is that Vancouver? No, that's the Vancouver uh, okay. one,
2: which is very cool. But actually, I don't know what the GP is about because I'm there to play Commander.
1: Sweet. So you need to follow DJ on Twitter at Jumbo Commander because he's going to be tweeting out where he is if he's looking for games. And also, when people like DJ go to a GP, he'll tend to like be at where the Commander area is. And so if you find him, you'll often find a lot of Commander players to play with. And so follow him on Twitter so that you can join him in some Commander games. And also, if you're not going to be a GP of Portland, still follow him on Twitter.
2: I'll take some pictures of cool game states and you can be like, oh, I'm jealous I'm not in Portland. No, I was going to say <laughs> so
1: they can tweet at you saying how good Force of Will and Reliquary okay, are. Okay,
2: okay, yes. <laughs> tweet at me. It's fine. <laughs>
1: You should also check out our sister podcast, The Masters of Modern. They talk about the modern format and all things competitive magic. It's hosted by Alex Kessler and Ben Bateman. You can also go to YouTube, type in The Masters of Modern because they do video content now, or you can find them on Twitter at The MMCast or right next to us at Collected.Company.
2: Our editor is Josh Murphy. Thanks, Murph. And special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer at Living Cards MTG. I'm going to get that one time. (laughs) What do we got today? Oh.
1: Thousand Year Storm. Thousand Year Storm, which is actually, I heard Kenji Egashira was telling me that it's actually a pretty sweet standard deck, which is hard. I've to seen believe. him. I've seen him do that. Yeah. The,
2: the storm and standard. It's very cool.
1: That sounds fun. I'm still not going to play standard, but it sounds fun. All right, everyone. Uh, all right, everybody. Thanks for watching. <laughs> Bye. Peace.